This is Friends of Europe. For more, go to friendsofeurope.org. On this uh, sunny day in Brussels, and we'll hope to shed just as much light uh, on the, the issues of European security this morning uh, as the sun is shedding on the Brussels landscape. Uh, as you could see, Jabta uh, Hoopskefer, former boss of mine, Uh, former Secretary-General of NATO and trustee of Friends of Europe is already here uh, to lead off uh, the first session this morning where we're very pleased to welcome Sir Julian King. Uh, like Yap, needs no introduction, a very familiar face here in Brussels, the EU Commissioner for the Security uh, Union. Uh, and then we'll have uh, two interesting panels to follow up uh, where we will also look for your active participation. So again, on behalf of Friends of Europe, uh, I'd like to uh, thank you for coming, uh, but I'm sure that you will be richly rewarded uh, for your efforts. Uh, and now over to Yap uh, de Hoopskefer. Many thanks, Jamie, and uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to have you on board in uh, Friends of Europe. Uh, in the, uh, for, for, for NATO, it's bad that you're leaving. For us, it's very good uh, that you're with us. So, Julian, Commissioner, uh, a warm welcome to you. Uh, we're going to have a conversation of about, uh, let's say, 15, 20 minutes, uh, and then uh, uh, I'll invite members of the audience, if they so wish, to, uh, to ask a question to the Commissioner, make a comment here or there. Uh, as, as, as you know, Sir Julian uh, has a diverse background from Northern Ireland to, to uh, Her Majesty's Ambassador to France. Uh, he visited one of the Grandes Écoles in, uh, in, uh, in France, is an ENARC, uh, as, uh, as uh, we, uh, we like to call that, and is now in the Commission uh, responsible for the uh, Security Union. Sir Julian, a warm welcome, also on my part. Uh, security, uh, security Union, it, it's... it's we, we say in Dutch it's a rather container notion. Uh, if you had to make a, a strength weaknesses, a SWOT analysis of Security Union, uh, what would it be like? Uh, well, it's better than it was because it didn't exist uh, a few years ago. Actually, it, it strikes me that uh, if we've been having this kind of event certainly 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, you probably wouldn't have thought automatically to invite... Uh, a, a member of the Commission to come and talk about these subjects. That's one measure of how much things have changed. Uh, the EU is becoming a more serious contributor, player, uh, on these range of issues, security and defence issues. And the pace at which it is getting engaged in these issues is increasing. And we might talk a little bit about that. There's obviously a set of issues which are the more traditional uh, defence issues, but there are also a set of issues, wider security issues, of real concern to citizens all across Europe. Uh, they're not entirely new threats, but they have been felt particularly sharply over recent years. Uh, threats from, uh, in particular, terrorism, uh, cyber, cyber-enabled manipulation, uh, both economic and, uh, and political. Uh, and the security union is an attempt to corral the different policies and instruments that we have within the Commission to try and get better at addressing citizens' concerns around those, those challenges. Terrorism, cyber, serious and organized crime. Uh, do, 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 how are we doing? Well, I think we're doing okay, but there's an enormous amount still left to do. Because when, when, you, when you're discussing cyber, when you're discussing uh, hacking, critical infrastructure protection, when you're discussing intelligence, information exchange, that, that those are topics where the nations sit on rather tightly, do they not? 
Well, uh, actually, I'm uh, glad to say that our work on these challenges, these cross-border threats from terrorism and cyber, uh, is less bedeviled by arguments over who should do what uh, and arcane issues of subsidiarity than some other areas. Uh, because there is now really quite a wide acceptance that what we're doing in Brussels, what we're doing specifically in the Commission, is in no way seeking to displace or replace member states, governments' responsibility as the first line of um, defence to their citizens. But what we're doing is finding ways to work together effectively to help and support the member states and the uh, member states' authorities against these shared threats. And uh, remarkably, uh, that is not really in dispute. Uh, so uh, the challenge is much more about how do we strengthen that collective cooperation to support the member states. Talking to you as a, as a, as a UK citizen, what, what you're telling us now, what, what, in your view, should be the relationship between the United Kingdom and the European Union uh, after Brexit? I well, mean, between, we, we, can't, we can't avoid the topic, can uh, we? Between now and next March, there's a, there's a few other things that we need to carry on and do. We understand. Uh, which we might talk about. But uh, projecting forward, uh, the, uh, particularly on the security challenges, terrorism, cyber in its different forms. Uh, these are... The people who are trying to harm us don't make any distinction between one country and another country. Uh, they uh, are trying to challenge our, our way of lives, uh, the way we live our lives, our values, uh, the way our communities live together. Uh, these are shared threats, and we are best uh, equipped to try and deal with them when we work together. That is true today. It'll be true next March. It'll be true afterwards. Uh, therefore, I hope that we're going to be able to have, whatever else happens in Brexit, the closest possible cooperation uh, between the EU and the UK against these kind of challenges. Uh, I am optimistic that we can do that. I'm more optimistic about this bit of um, uh, the post-Brexit future partnership than I am about some other bits. Uh, the what, economic, what, are, what are the other bits? Well, the economic side is going to be quite tough, I think, uh, and that's because... Uh, of the nature of the, the, nature of the business. Uh, on the economic side, there are some more distributive choices. Uh, the, it's more likely that there are winners and losers. On the security side, it seems to me, things work differently. Either we find agreements and ways of working together and everybody's uh, safer, or we don't find those ways of working together and everybody is less safe. So that sense of a... Um, shared self-interest should drive effective cooperation on the security side. This leads inevitably, uh, Sir Julian, to the conclusion that, that uh, what, whatever happens uh, uh, with Brexit, the European Union, to be a serious player in the, in the domain of security and defence, should have as close a relationship as possible with Great Britain after Brexit. Well, I'm glad you said that. Oh, yeah. the, the message is clear, I think, for the, for the audience as well. No, because I'm, I'm, I'm asking you this because we all want the European Union to take more responsibility, the multilateral system, Donald J. Trump in the Oval Office, uh, and, 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 and what have you. But if the European Union would really feel the need at a certain stage politically uh, to act militarily, also at the higher end of the spectrum, where NATO would not be involved, 
what, what, what is the European Union militarily without the UK? It's France. It's France. So that's the background of my, of my question. You might want to comment on it. Uh, well, uh, on all of the security issues that we've been talking about so far, I, I, I am absolutely convinced that uh, we will all be better off if we're able to cooperate effectively. On the uh, harder defence issues, uh, I think that the EU has also been changing very fast. Uh, and it is building on some things that existed already, like the European Defence Agency, now getting uh, m even more engaged and serious about building uh, capabilities and capacity. Uh, and it is mobilising uh, real will to do that with new, um, new structures for encouraging cooperation on research and development. And it's mobilising some real money, uh, which is always a test of how serious uh, the EU institutions are about a subject. Uh, you've got some experts in, in the room uh, today who can talk in more detail about the money. Uh, but if the new budget is agreed, uh, it's going to be mobilising, uh, in total, tens of billions of euros for uh, defence-related research and, and development. And that is seed money designed to promote public-private partnerships, which will multiply it uh, significantly. So this is quite a significant investment, even in the very expensive world uh, of defence. On the capabilities side, I think there is a real shift. As you've just challenged, quite rightly, uh, as well as capabilities, if you're going to engage at the higher end, you need, um, you need expeditionary will, as well as capabilities. Uh, and that is, uh, and I think, uh, the challenge that we're still going to have to look at. Because my opinion would then be that we need the United Kingdom for the expeditionary uh, elements. We might need the United Kingdom for finance as well, and we might need the UK for the political will in, 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 in trying to, to get the political will if the need arises that the European Union would have to act. In the Sahelian zone, for instance, when, when there would be a major crisis, slash migration, what have you, not in a war with Russia. Again, uh, it's uh, from my part, as you, uh, as you uh, are finding out, no surprise probably, uh, a plea for as close a relationship as possible after Brexit between the uh, European Union and Great Britain in the domain of security and defence. Well, as I said, I think the domain of security and defence works differently from some of the other possibly more challenging elements of this future partnership that we've got to build. Could, could I, Commissioner, go back briefly to the remarks you made on, 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 on terrorism and cyber? Uh, I'm not quoting him literally now, but Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin not that long ago uh, said, who controls artificial intelligence will control the world. Uh, to what extent, uh, if we're discussing a security union, uh, your day-to-day -day work, uh, are you dealing uh, with AI, apart from terrorism and cyber, and may I add uh, an, an element which I think will also dominate or will have to dominate the debate, uh, and those are the moral and ethical questions related to, uh, to AI. Uh, I heard from Google uh, that there are employees in Google uh, who have uh, uh, left the company because they were forced to cooperate, of course, in a Pentagon project which would uh, enable drones to act on facial recognition, fire their weapons uh, without any human hand. Uh, in other words, and in, and in, and in brief, uh, the moral and ethical uh, domain uh, when we discuss uh, cyber hacking and more specifically AI is, I think, extremely relevant. Could you please, could you please comment? Uh, so, 
Uh, as you know, uh, we are uh, engaging on these issues. Um, indeed, you're working on some of them with um, uh, my colleague, uh, uh, Vice President Katainen. Uh, there, is a, uh, there is a real issue around uh, automated, automatic uh, weaponry. Uh, we're engaged in that debate uh, as, as the institutions in the UN, and we are doing uh, work on it internally as well. I, I, I think... We might have been a bit slow in engaging on this. I think it's important that we learn the lessons from our experience around uh, the challenges of the Internet. Uh, the Internet brings many goods, but it also has been used by others to uh, cause harm. Uh, and we are only now, really, starting to grapple with what we need to do to deal with the harms that are trafficked on the Internet, uh, many of them raising uh, moral and uh, uh, ethical issues as well. I think that we should learn from our experience now in grappling with the neutral Internet uh, harms to get better prepared for the harms that might be trafficked by the misuse of AI. Uh, we shouldn't be so slow when it comes to AI. Because the Chinese might be faster. Uh, unfortunately, as we've discovered with internet harms, the bad guys are often faster. Right. Um, this, by way of introduction, listening to the, the Commissioner, uh, as promised, uh, I'm now going to, to you, over to you, uh, and to grab the opportunity to uh, voice your comments or ask your questions to, uh, to Commissioner King. Anyone in the audience ready for the first question? Which is almost always the most difficult one. Come on, guys. Don't let me down. Don't let the Commissioner down. Yes, please. I think, Terry, you get, you get a microphone. Oh, it's on the right. Yeah. Thank you. That's kind. Um, the, uh, I hear what you say about security and what the Commission is doing. The thing is that we have basically on the European side at least three players. We have the Commission, we have the Member States, and we have the External Action Service. Uh, to bring everything together is a huge challenge, is it not? Uh, pertaining not only to security, but defense as well, as it is gradually evolving, one thinks and hopes. Uh, would you have a comment on that as far as the difficulties and the possibilities of overcoming these difficulties? You can exaggerate the difficulties. I'm not denying that um, uh, sometimes uh, in this town uh, uh, institutional issues can slow things down, uh, but uh, uh, we have got much better uh, at working collectively uh, within the EU institutions. That's one of the that's one of the products of the security union. Uh, we all sit together uh, on uh, uh, a security union task force that brings together all of the players that you've just mentioned. In fact, it brings together, uh, the last count, over 30 different direct directorates general across the commission, uh, EAS and EU agencies to collectively address uh, these issues. But as importantly, I think, we've also got much better... Um, working across institutions uh, in this town and between the EU uh, and the UN. Uh, and I think that is uh, crucially important 
Because if we're going to make progress on these issues, if we're going to push back against the people who are trying to do us uh, harm, uh, then we need to have very effective cooperation uh, uh, across the EU, but also with other countries that share our values, and very effective cooperation between those institutions that are the bedrock, the pillars of the famous rule-based uh, international order that we all uh, cherish. I'm, I'm happy with that answer because Jamie and also Ambassador Samadopoulos will, uh, will remember uh, that only a few years ago when I qualified the relationship between the European Union and NATO as a frozen conflict, I was, I was uh, heavily criticized by, uh, by, by some member states. Uh, that, Can that... I just say something about that? Yes, please. The last, please. Time, the last time I was doing this kind of stuff in the Commission was 10 years ago. Uh, when I came back two years ago now, the first, one of the first people to phone and say hi was a senior person from NATO. That would simply never have happened 10 years ago. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It was in those days, it wasn't even possible to have the NATO and European Union PSC ambassadors together uh, uh, without, even without their name shields, because the question was always Cyprus and, 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 and Turkey and what have you. So that, that, that has... Uh, that has improved a lot, uh, I, I think, for the better for NATO and for the better for the European Union. I see a gentleman in the back. I, I have a light on my face, so I can't... Oh, Thank there's you. a mic. Please, please sir, go ahead. Pierre-Emmanuel Thoman, uh, expert in geopolitics. Uh, don't you think that uh, if Europe will have a role in security and defense, it's going to be more on a coalition of a willing approach? Because if you look at the French approach, uh, Mr. Macron proposed a, a um, European intervention initiative, which is outside EU, outside NATO, and precisely to make uh, interventions in the French area of interest with UK, when UK will be, will, uh, be willing to do it, uh, but it will be outside EU or NATO. So... I don't see a change of paradigm since um, intervention in Iraq uh, from the US-led coalition with coalition of ruling. I think we are on the same path. Although EU might provide yeah, reconstruction after a conflict as usual, but uh, this coalition of ruling, I think, is a new paradigm. How, how are you going to go over this? Thank you. Commissioner. Well, as I hope has been coming through in some of the uh, earlier conversation, I think that you're jumping to a conclusion based on one case, and there's a whole spread of security and defense interests that we need to address. And very many of those are being addressed increasingly collectively. So the security challenges from uh, terrorism, uh, cyber, cyber-enabled, which are the things that touch our citizens most directly in their daily lives, are being tackled increasingly collectively uh, across the EU institutions and with other partner institutions. Uh, on the question of developing defence capability, it is being, it's being advanced increasingly collectively. Uh, you focus on the challenge of expeditionary um, forces in, in tough circumstances. Uh, as we said a few minutes ago, I agree that that is something that still needs to be worked through. That is uh, a different kind of challenge. But don't ignore the uh, progress that has been made 
in collectively addressing a whole range of other security and defense issues. Uh, let, let, let me, Commissioner, come, come in uh, with, with a question I think we should address uh, because uh, you, me you mentioned cyber, uh, the Internet, uh, hacking. My question is, and I, th I think it's, it's, it's still a rather complicated one, uh, is, is, between the, is on, the, on, the, on the link between the cyber age and deterrence. NATO has always deterred in the classical sense, successfully, where it needed to deter an opponent or, or an enemy or whatever. Now, in the cyber age, uh, how do you deter uh, uh, a nation, uh, a rogue state, uh, or uh, another attack from the private sector? Uh, and, and, and how do you react? I hope you understand what I mean. I'm formulating it a bit compli no, no, complicated. Uh, the, the, you, need a different, you need a different approach to deterrence. Uh, you need a different approach to deterrence because uh, a lot of what you're talking about uh, is, is civil uh, and a lot is private sector. So you can only think about deterrence if you uh, frame it against that background. You need uh, a lot more public-private sector cooperation to develop the kind of ideas that might work. Uh, this isn't something that uh, governments can do alone. Uh, it's not something that can just be done at the hard defense end of the spectrum, although that is one element of it. Uh, it is, therefore, I think very welcome that on this subject, uh, the EU and NATO are working together, uh, and the cooperation is, is very strong. Uh, the need to develop a broad spectrum of deterrence uh, includes uh, thinking about how we boost transparency, uh, how we boost traceability uh, and attribution, and how we bring uh, those who are using uh, the internet or cyber to attack us uh, to, to book. Uh, when uh, that attack is sponsored by uh, a non-state actor or criminal elements, uh, we need to look at uh, a whole range of justice and law enforcement uh, responses. If uh, the attack is, uh, is state-sponsored, uh, then we need to look at a range of, uh, of different, including political responses. And I'm glad to say there the debate on the EU side has, has, has already started. It's quite well advanced. They have... Uh, the ministers have agreed a range of responses that they could uh, use in such a case. And are, are, you, are you satisfied uh, in the way by which you can get the private sector, the civil sector, in the Googles, the Facebooks, the Microsofts, the what have you? Because they, 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 can, they can play, they, can, they are already playing a rather, a rather important role in this whole debate, do they not? They're, they're essential. Uh, so we have uh, excellent cooperation on very many uh, issues with the, not just the big players, but a range of players across the, the, the private sector. But there are some sticking points. Uh, and uh, I think it's very important that we, that we don't duck that uh, and that we are straightforward in trying to address some of those sticking points. Uh, we have a sticking point at the moment uh, around terrorist content. Uh, we've had good cooperation uh, on a voluntary basis but it hasn't gone far enough, fast enough. Uh, there is still far too much of this horrible content up there. 
Uh, every single one of the attacks that we've experienced in Europe over the last 18 months or so had uh, a, uh, a content element, uh, either in encouraging it or in glorifying it. Uh, and we really, really need to crack down on this. Uh, therefore, we are taking uh, a first step uh, to put uh, in place legislation to impose obligations directly on the platforms. Uh, it's not necessarily the biggest platforms that need that, but we need to set a floor so that all platforms uh, help us to tackle this challenge. We have a problem with uh, cyber-enabled manipulation. Famous fake news, disinformation, misinformation. Uh, there it's not about asking anybody to take judgments on individual pieces of content, whether they're true or false. It is about trying to get more transparency around the provenance of material on platforms and on our, on our newsfeed in particular. Uh, we're trying to do that in cooperation with the platforms. Uh, I'm afraid at the moment the cooperation is not going fast enough. Uh, so uh, I I'm, I'm, want to be positive about the uh, nature of the cooperation we have public, private, on these issues, but I'm not going to duck calling out where there are problems. Thank you so much. I see the gentleman here. Yeah, please, sir. You wait till the microphone is approaching. <clears throat> Thank you. Gustavo Scotti from AOS. Well, I think this is the last question, so I'm asking a short resume. We spoke about different type of threats, different type of issues, and so on. But if you have to put the first three most important priorities and the first three most important capabilities or issues to be solved, even if you answer the first, the first, and the first, instead of three, 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 is enough for me. Thank you. It was the penultimate question, by the way, uh, if, you, if, you, if you agree. The Commissioner. Uh, well, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, but I do, uh, I do try and resist, uh, tempting as it may be, to give uh, hierarchies of um, threats and challenges in, in this area because I think we, we do need to continue to work very hard across the piece uh, on uh, not only those challenges that our citizens uh, immediately feel, whether that is terrorism, cyber, cyber-enabled, but also on some of the longer-term strategic challenges that sometimes get less citizens' public attention. Uh, because actually, you know what, if you don't try and deal with those longer-term strategic challenges, you find that they, they can come home to roost. Uh, if we'd been a bit more serious about our upstream engagement with Africa uh, over more time, perhaps we would have a, a, a different range of... of challenges in front of us now on migration. Last question, sir. Microphone is coming. And thank you for giving me that privilege. Uh, Joe Cormont, Brigadier General from the Egmont Institute. Mr. Commissioner, you told us that uh, looking back from 10 years to, the two year, uh, to two years when you came back to the Commission, that you have witnessed, in a matter of fact, a revolutionary evolution on security uh, elements. Are we now not uh, required to take another revolutionary step forward by, for instance, uh, introducing 
the uh, qualified majority voting into the Council of the Member States. Uh, what is your opinion of that? Because I think that is, again, a revolutionary evolution. Thank you. Do you have a few minutes, Commissioner? No, I have very pressing engagement. Um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, President Juncker set out clearly in the State of the Union uh, his uh, desire and intention to move this issue forward. Uh, I, I do think we've got a problem. Uh, we have a problem uh, on a range of issues uh, in the foreign policy space where uh, one, sometimes two, uh, member states uh, can hold things up in a way that uh, is a real challenge to the uh, shared values uh, that we're seeking to promote. Uh, that's happened uh, recently around some some human rights uh, issues. Uh, and I don't think we should duck that. I think we should um, try and find a way of dealing with that. Uh, how far and how fast you'll be able to go in using uh, QMV in uh, this sphere, uh, uh, we shall see. Uh, I'm pretty confident we'll manage it until next March. Uh, and uh, after that, um, uh, I'll be... Uh, staying in close touch to see how you're getting on. Please, please stay in close touch, Commissioner. Uh, and let, let, me, let me finish by saying that I, I really do hope uh, that in your domain and in many other domains, despite this dramatic Brexit, we can keep the United Kingdom as close to the European Union as possible because I think it's a UK interest and it's clearly uh, one of the key interests of the European Union. Ladies and gentlemen, give Sir Julian King, the Commissioner, a big hand for uh, being here and talking to us. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much.